Well, as Susan mentioned, I did. I grew up in sunny Southern California, and similar to here, I lived in an area that had close access to the beaches. So I have a lot of memories of spending long summer days out in the ocean with my friends and my family, and they're some of my favorite memories growing up. But there's a particular memory in a day that I went to the beach that stands out most, and it is a time that I went to the beach with a friend and his mom. And we got there, and as you do, you set up your blankets and your towels, and then as a 12-year-old wants to, we wanted to book it to the water. But before we did that, his mom stopped us and gave us some very specific instructions. She had told us we were not allowed to go beyond certain boundaries. And she pointed out two different umbrellas of very vibrant colors so that we could easily see them when we were out of the ocean. And she said, you are not allowed to go beyond those umbrellas. Make sure you stay within those boundaries. So we agreed to her instructions, and we bolted it to the water in our boogie boards, and we're out there having fun. And we're getting distracted by all the fun we're having, but we're pretty diligent for the first 30 minutes or so to look back and make sure we're staying centered to where we had started. But as time progressed, we got more and more distracted, and that current kept just kind of pulling us away from where we needed to be. So we'd occasionally hear his mom yelling, hey, hey, move over, move over. And any of you who spend time at the beach with your kids or with your friends, or maybe you spend time in the ocean yourself, you know what I'm talking about. Because when you're out there in the ocean, that current just kind of, it shifts you over without you even really realizing it. Well, we had been out there, and we got so far from where we needed to be that we couldn't even recognize where the umbrellas were. We no longer could even see his mom. And his mom, he gave, she gave us these instructions because she cared about us. She loved us. She knew that this was a warning that needed to be said, because I don't know if you guys know this, but over 320,000 people die in the ocean every year. This was a life or death type situation, and she knew she needed to give us some very specific and harsh instructions to the danger we could put ourselves in. Well, as Christians, we know that we live in a world that's got a strong current that's trying to pull us away from where we need to be. And if we don't fight diligently against all the things we hear out in the world, all the opinions people have about God, all the beliefs there are to get to heaven, if we don't fight diligently against that, we not only put only us at harm, but we put other people at harm at thinking we're in the truth when really we've drifted away from it. So if you haven't yet, please turn to 2 John 9 through 11. And we see here in this passage that in a similar sense, John 2, he's waving his hands at his Christian audience trying to give them a loud warning of all the false teachers out there who are trying to pull them away from what the apostles had originally taught them. So let's go ahead and read 2 John 9 through 11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John means business here. He's talking with a very stern and uh, stern voice, isn't he? He says in verse 9, he says, everyone who goes on ahead, go on ahead, meaning anyone who goes beyond or goes too far. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, abide means to remain in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. He then goes on to say, whoever abides, so whoever remains in the teaching, has both the Father and the Son. We see that in verse 9, he makes such a direct contrast, right, to who are his true disciples and who aren't. 
he makes it clear that a genuine relationship with Christ is contingent on sticking with the original teachings of Christ. You either hold on to that truth and have God, or you go in a different direction and you don't have God. He makes that comparison, that contrast so clear here in verse 9. And John, he, he's our last remaining apostle. And we keep hearing him in 1 John and 2 John saying the th- same things over and over again. And he's saying this over and over again and loud and clear because he sees that these false teachers are going out into the community trying to pull them away from what the apostles had been teaching them. He says the same thing in 1 John 2, 23 through 24. That's 1 John 2, 23 through 24. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Like I mentioned, we live in a world that's got so many different versions of Christianity, so many different opinions about Christ and who he is and how you can make your way to heaven. There are so many different churches that teach different biblical views and which ones are still prevalent and which ones aren't. But we know that true disciples of Christ stick to the teachings he has revealed to us in his word. And when we hear all those things, we've got to make sure that we are remaining faithful to what he has told us. We've got to make sure we're comparing all of that to what he has said in the scriptures. So let's write it down this way for our first point is compare what you hear to the truth. Compare what you hear to the truth. This would be like my husband and I going out on a date and leaving some instructions for the babysitter, leaving some bedtime instructions. And when it came down to bedtime and maybe my son or my daughter were trying to tell the babysitter things different, we would expect them to go back to those instructions, right? If my son was telling the babysitter, hey, we usually eat three cookies before we brush our teeth. It's just kind of what we do. (laughs) Or we just always take like a 45-minute bubble bath before we get in our PJs. I would expect that babysitter to take what they said and compare it to the instructions that we gave her, right? And we are going to constantly hear things in the world that are so contrary to what he says. And we're going to hear it through social media. We're going to hear it through blogs. We're going to hear it through the media. We're going to hear it through the news. We're going to hear it just in the conversations we have. And some of those things are more blatant, right? We we look at them and we're like, yeah, that's not what the Bible says. That's not from the teachings of Christ. But then sometimes there's things that are just a little bit more subtle, things that are Christian-based, right? We read books that are by Christian authors or we read devotionals by theologians, and these things aren't necessarily bad, but we cannot be so reliant on them that we forget to compare them to God's word. Because all these people who are promoting these things and writing these things and talking about them in the news, they think they're right. But we know that the only reliable source of truth is in God's word. And in our passage in John, he's talking about the truth of the teachings of Christ. He says in verse 9, whoever does not abide in the teachings of Christ. So here, there's a scholarly divide as to whether or not these teachings of Christ are referring to Jesus about him, who he is, and that he came in the flesh and resurrected. And then some will say it's the teachings from Christ, what he taught and what he commanded those that follow him. But the good news is both of those fall within the covers of the Bible. They're both true, and so they're both valid for us. 
but we know that anything outside of the covers of the Bible, it hasn't come directly from God himself. John, in verse 9, he draws this sharp line dividing those from his true disciples and who aren't. You either remain in what you heard or you go in a different direction from it. You're either a disciple or you're not. He makes it so clear. And in John 8.31, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That's John 8.31. So if you're a true Christian here today, we know that we need to make sure that we are abiding in the truth, that we are diligently working hard to remain in the truth. And we've got to compare everything we hear to what we know to be true. And a great way for us to do this is to keep the Bible central. Ashley talked last week about sticking to the basics, right? Being in the Word. We've got to keep that Bible central in our lives. And I love that keep the Bible central is the first of our eight distinctives here at Compass. And praise God for that. I don't know about you ladies, but we are so blessed to be at a church who just takes so seriously that God of Word, the Word of God, and that it's central to everything they do and everything they function as a church. And it's a great comfort to us to know that our pastors and our leaders take the Word of God so seriously, that it's central in their lives and the way this church functions. But it's got to be central in our lives too. Because the more familiar we are with what's true, the much quicker we're going to be able to recognize what's false. A great example of this is Stephanie Schwartz's annual hot topic that she does. For those of you who are unfamiliar, every year she goes through a topic which is hot. Sometimes it's uh, culturally relevant or there's a buzz going on or maybe even some controversy. But she, she takes the topic and then she compares it to scripture. She takes the topic and she said, what does the Bible say about this? Just a couple years ago, she did Rachel Hollis, the author of Girl, Wash Your Face. And she, she looked at the book and what Rachel was saying, who, again, she's a professing Christian. She sprinkles a lot of Jesus into her books, and she professes to be a believer in Christ. But you, when you get down to her content, it's actually doing exactly opposite. It's steering you away from God's word. Now, Rachel, she is compelling. She is persuasive. She's charismatic. But she is spitting so much false teaching out to the world, so much that's contrary to the word of God. So how can we prepare ourselves to just be better comparers, right? Like Stephanie says, how can we compare more of what we're hearing to what God says? We've got to start our day in God's word. It's so foundational. It's so basic. We have to start our day in God's word. And these words just jumped out at me this morning in this morning's DBR. Deuteronomy 30, 14. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Deuteronomy 30, 14, this morning we read, but the word is very near, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. We need to be in the word every morning. Let's also read Ephesians 6, 13 through 14. Again, that's Ephesians 6, 13 through 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Fasten on that belt of truth. We need that belt of truth before we walk into a world full of false. 
We need that belt of truth on in the morning before we go and we walk out in a world of false. This isn't also foundational for us as Christians, but it's huge for our witness to our kids and the loved ones within our homes. They need to be serious in the word first thing in the morning. If we expect them or we want them to be in the word first in the morning before they go on about their day, they need to see us doing the same thing. Or if our children or our husbands or our loved ones or whomever comes to us with an issue or something that they heard out in the world, when they come to us, we need to pull out our Bibles. We need to compare what they're saying to what our Bible says. Because it might be easier to read a blog. Of course it might be. And it might be easier just to read your devotional. And again, these are not bad things. But they can't come before we fasten that belt on of truth. We've got to make sure we're in the Word of God first thing in the morning. We need to be, like Luke says in Acts 17, we need to be good Bereans. That's Acts 17, 11. Listen to what Luke says here. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Acts 17, 11. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So awesome. John tells us in verse 9, he distinguishes to us true disciples to those who aren't. We know our need to compare what we hear to God's word. And when we do that, and we see that it doesn't line up with Scripture, what do we do? What do we do with that information? Well, John tells us in verse 10 exactly what we need to do. So let's read verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. (laughs) That sounds kind of (laughs) harsh. And it kind of sounds really contrary to what he's been telling us all in 1 John about love, right? We keep hearing love people, love people. And here he's telling us, Don't receive them into your home. Don't give them any greeting. But let's think about this. This is God's word at stake. This is the message of salvation at stake. These are people's souls at stake. So the command that he's giving is actually incredibly loving. It's the incredible loving thing to do. Now keep in mind, back then in the first century, things were very different than they are now. Church services weren't held in an auditorium. They were held in people's homes. So showing hospitality was very important. They didn't have Hotels.com back then, and uh, it was a loving thing to do to receive people in your home. And so it was a big thing to do. It, it established relationships. It reinforced relationships. But back then, the people you had in your home was kind of like the people you were giving the thumbs up to. You were affirming whatever it is that they were teaching. As one commentary puts it like this, traveling preachers and teachers, professing believers, would come into an area and seek a place from which to do their teaching in someone's home. If someone comes and does not bear or carry with them this doctrine, the teaching of Christ, then they are not to be received into your home. So what does John mean by greeting, right? So he's, I can't even say hi to someone who's talking about false teaching. What does he mean by greeting? Well, one biblical scholar, James White, he says it this way. He says, in our culture, saying hi, it means very little. But in the ancient culture and amongst Christians, greetings were far more important. To give the intimate sign of Christian fellowship to such a person would signal your acceptance of their teaching. So a greeting back then meant much different than it did now. A greeting back then was kind of like us saying, God bless you, or may it be well with you. It was, it was them affirming what these false teachers were teaching. 
And like I mentioned, these false teachers, they had pure intentions, right? They thought they were doing the loving thing by receiving their home. And I think oftentimes we think we're doing the same thing when we tolerate false teaching. We think we're being loving by just not saying anything. We think that we're doing the right thing by just kind of turning a blind eye or not really speaking up about it. But it's not the loving thing to do. It's not the loving thing not to speak up. The loving thing to do would be to completely refuse the false teaching altogether, wouldn't it? So let's put that down for our second point, is refuse to support false teaching. Refuse to support false teaching. If we refuse to support false teaching, isn't that how the world is really going to be able to distinguish who are his true disciples and who aren't? If we don't refuse to support it, how are they going to know the difference? How are they going to know that they're missing out on the message of salvation? If we do things such as, you know, forward on Christian articles on Facebook, but haven't compared the content to scripture, how are we not just going to blend in with the rest of the world that calls themselves Christian? How will they know they're missing that message of salvation? We don't want them to miss that message, do we? We see it all over the Bible, how much of a responsibility we have as Christians. And I say responsibility, but it's also such an honor and it's such a privilege. Let's see what a couple verses say about it in the Bible. We see in Romans 16, 17. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. We also see in 2 Thessalonians 3.6. 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Ladies, do we care enough about people? Do we care enough about people's souls to say, you're not welcome here? Do we care enough about the gospel to say you're not welcome here? That's not welcome here? Do we care enough about glorifying Christ to say, I'm sorry, you're not welcome here? That's not welcome here? You might be thinking when you first read this verse, you're probably thinking, okay, well, what about Mormons and Jehovah's Witness? Am I not allowed to receive them in my home? Am I not allowed to greet them? That's not what John is saying. We are ambassadors of Christ, right? We are called to proclaim his good news. If you were to take a Mormon into your home today, people aren't going to be thinking that you are giving them thumbs up. They're going to think that you're trying to pour truth into them. But what this does mean for us, when we support teaching, this means we can't be investing in organizations when we haven't done our diligence to know what the organization supports. We can't be supporting movements on Facebook when we haven't done our diligence to know what that movement stands for and what it represents. We can't be recommending books like Rachel Hollis or other books that seem Christian, that seem to be super loved by the world, when we haven't done our diligence to know whether or not it's sticking strictly to the teachings of Christ. You might think it's loving to always pour your money into a missionary, and of course, that's a loving thing to do, but not when the missionary supports something that's going against the teachings of Christ. How quick are we even to just like things on social media, right? How are they going to tell the difference if they see people liking things, just like all the other Christians liking things, 
if it's not strict to Scripture? How are we going to separate ourselves as disciples? When I think of this, I think of how quick we would be to refuse to give something that would be harmful to us or our kids physically, right? I highly doubt that you guys would let your kids drink Clorox, or I don't think you'd give them mascara as a lollipop. I think that we are diligent not to let our kids partake in or invest in or ingest or receive anything that would be harmful to them physically and just us too, right? We don't support things that are bad for us physically. We certainly don't support things that are bad for our children and our grandchildren physically. Well, we need to be this diligent about supporting things that are bad for us and others spiritually. We've got to be that diligent to refuse to support things that are that bad for those we love spiritually. Because we have a responsibility. But again, what a privilege we have to proclaim the good news, to uphold the gospel that God has entrusted to us. We see in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, we have been entrusted with the gospel. Wow. We have a responsibility to call our sisters in Christ out for their sake, for God's sake, but do we love God as much as we love man? Are we as fearful of God as we are of man? Do we care enough about the gospel and our sanctification and people's sin issue as much as we do as all the fixes of this world and all the things that the world is telling us? We've got a responsibility and we need to take it serious. We've got to be careful not to support anything that compromises the message of the truth, the life-saving message of the gospel. Our allegiance, it needs to be in Christ, which means our devotion has got to be his word and to nothing else. And if you're still not convinced that this is a big deal, if you're thinking, okay, but it's not me. I'm not the one that's doing the false teaching. I'm not giving money to any organizations. I'm not the one sharing things on Facebook. If you're still not seeing just the grasp of how serious this is that we speak up and how seriously we take refusing to support false teaching, John warns us of what will happen in verse 11. So let's read verse 11. He says, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. It's at that point in time when we're not comparing the wicked works and rejecting it. Instead, we're just tolerating it. And at that point, we just become an aid to the heresy. We just become an aid to a heresy. So let's put it this way for our point number three, is never... Never be an accessory to heresy. Never be an accessory to heresy. John gave us big, loud warnings in this, script, in this text this week, right? Loud and clear. It is so prevalent for us today. We need to be taking it just as serious today as he was in proclaiming it to those back then. We've got to be prayerful and diligent about who we associate ourselves with, the things we associate ourselves with, the things we invest in. We cannot just become an accessory to it without doing our diligence. We can't unknowingly let us fall into this trap of being an aid to it. Because there are so many subtle deceivers out there. Like I said, we, not be, we might not be partaking in the ones that seem obvious, but are we doing our diligence in the ones that are subtle? Mass media is a 
Think about it. They were knocking on doors back then, going on people's doors. Now you can just pull up your phone and see heresy. You partake in a conversation and hear heresy. So it's so serious today that we aren't condoning it, we're not participating in it, that we're not being an aid to it, that we're not being an accessory to it. I would imagine that, like me, you too have your greatest desire to be commended by God for handling his word well. Therefore, let's not just jump on the bandwagon and you know, invest in the greatest fixes of this world. Let's be diligent to promote scripture. Let's be consistent to promote what is consistent with what the Bible teaches us. Well, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you're familiar with God's word and you've started to just be comfortable with what you know. It kind of makes me think of being a senior in high school, right? You're just so sick of doing your homework at this point. You're just, you're wiped, you're tired, and you get what they call senioritis. Well, we can't get senioritis as Christians, right? We can know, we can never take for granted how much time we've spent in God's word, not to be diligent to make sure we're not just being an accessory to it. Maybe you serve in a lot of ministries here, which is an awesome thing, but you still got to be on guard. You still got to make sure you're not being an accessory to heresy. Just because you spend a lot of time in church does not mean that you're not capable of being an aid to it, to be an accessory to it. Like I mentioned earlier, we go to a church who takes the word of God so seriously, and we should praise God for that, and we should thank our leadership for it, and we should never take it for granted. But we cannot get too comfortable. We can't just have the reliance on everyone else. We have to make sure that we too are keeping the Bible central, and we are not being accessory to heresy. We've got to be diligent to align ourselves with God's word, and we can't just unintentionally become uh, accessory to heresy. But what if just, you know, rather than avoiding being an accessory to it, we proactively contended for our faith. We proactively proclaimed the good news of the gospel. What a gift that is that we have the privilege to know God's truth and then proclaim it to a world proclaiming so much contrary to it. If you would pull up Jude 3, 4 with me, I'd like to read that with you. It's one of my favorite passages. Jude 3, 4. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God in sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Wow. Ladies, let's contend for our faith. Let's wage war against all the error that comes our way. Let's fight for it like a soldier fighting for its treasure. Let's contend for our faith. Let's wage war. Let's protect the treasure. Let's protect God's word. To keep from being accessory to what's false, let's be diligent to stand up for what's true for the sake of Christ and for the sake of people's souls and for the sake of the gospel. Now, I had mentioned that my friend and I, we went out in the ocean and we had got so far out that we could no longer see where we had once started. 
Now, thankfully, we were on our boogie boards, so we're just out there in the ocean floating, but we, we were so far out that we couldn't get back in. Well, thankfully, his mom was diligent, and a lifeguard came to pull us back into shore. But don't you see why his mom took that instruction so seriously? We could have been one of the one out of the 320,000 people that die every year. It was life or death, and that's how serious this passage is. As Christians, we cannot allow ourselves to drift. We cannot allow ourselves to get so far because we see what's at stake. We've got to be remain faithful to God's word and remain faithful to refuse to support all those teachers trying to pull us away from what we know to be true. We've got to make sure that we are diligent. We've got to make sure we compare everything we're hearing on a daily basis to truth, to refuse it, and to make sure that we are not becoming an accessory to it. And when we do this, when we're proactive to be an effective disciple of Christ, we'll remain in close step with Christ. And when the world, when, the, when that current gets really strong, we'll still be next to him and we'll still be in truth. Let's pray. Dear God, we just want to thank you so much, Lord, for being in a world that's full of so much false teaching, but yet you have revealed to us what's true. You have told us the source that we need to go to, that we need to be relying on to go to what we know is reliable and what is true. And God, I pray that you will help us as we go about our days and we spend time on social media and we watch things on the news and we, we listen to shows and recommend shows, God, that we are discerning about what we pour into ourselves and discerning about what we share with others. I pray, God, that the world will see the difference. They will see those are who, who are his true disciples and those who aren't. God, we, we want to please you in handling your word well, and I pray that you help us to do that well today and this week and all the days forward. We pray this in your son Jesus' name.